Hello everyone and welcome to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Radai. I'm your host, Eddie Palmgren, and with me here in the studio is my friend and colleague, Niklas Savos. How are you today? I'm really excited to speak about some of our favorite books today. So, so yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, today comes a special episode as we have been invited to another podcast to talk about our favorite investing books. Which uh, podcast is it? So the name of the podcast is CFO Bookshelf and the host is Mark Gandhi who has done more than 140 episodes. Mark is based in Columbia, Missouri, has a consulting practice named G3 CFO and is also a coach and mentor for other CFOs. So without further ado, here comes our conversation with Mark Gandhi. I'm going to say that you guys are the men, the myth, and the legend. You guys are the hosts of the Investing by the Books, and I have been looking forward to this for weeks. Uh, I cannot thank you enough uh, for coming on to the show, CFO Bookshelf. Again, this is a huge, huge honor, guys. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having us. So, Eddie, start with you, your name, just a quick bio, and then Nicholas, your name, and quick bio. Sure, Eddie Palmgren. Uh, I work at Red Eye. I've been an equity analyst here. I've been working with our editorial department, and uh, now I work as a client manager, working mostly with serial acquirers companies. And uh, with Nicholas, we have the podcast Investing by the Books, started uh, summer of 2021. So, so it's been, so you're in your second year. Uh, of the podcast, yes. But I've been at Red Eye since 2014. And and then Nicholas? Yeah, so Nicholas Savos. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working currently as an equity analyst here at Red Eye, uh, focusing on uh, serial acquirers specifically. But I'm, I'm interested in everything, uh, every, everything investing related, so to speak. So, I mean, personally, I, I invest in, in uh, other companies as well. And uh, yeah, me and Eddie has has had this podcast for a while and it's uh, super fun and and uh, yeah I, I really really love reading books and it's a it's a great forum to to speak to, with authors and, and really ask the questions that that you ask yourself when you read books and we're going to talk about your show in a little bit your firm again I just want to say kudos I I love your show and I'm very picky in what I listen to and I'm trying to remember who uh, turned me on to your show, but it is outstanding. I'll even tell you my five that I got teed up that I'll be listening to next. But again, just great, great show. But I do want to focus on investment books in general. That's okay uh, in this conversation. Have you guys been reading investment books since you were five or six? Or well, when, when did the journey start with with either of you two or both? Yes, I mean, for, for myself, I'm I'm 33 now. And I think I read my first investing book uh, when I was around 15. It was uh, I, I started with reading some Swedish books, um, and then I got into actually one of one of the first investing books I read was uh, The Intelligent Investor. But but then I was maybe maybe 18, um, and then since since that time, it's been of a been a bit of a start and stop. I have to say. So in in some years I didn't read so many investing books. Uh, and uh, I think in 2016, I really got off uh, reading a lot. So then I started to read like, I think I read 50 books that year. And and since I've been at around 30 to 50 books every year. Um, so it's it's just, um, I think 
life comes in between sometimes. So I mean, I I started my career and and then uh, I felt that I, I didn't have too much time reading. But but uh, since 2016, I, it's it's uh, really one of the pleasures of life for me. Can I be nosy real quickly, Nicholas? Of those fit of those 30 to to 50 books are maybe half investment books, a fourth, uh, kind of what's the the mixed? I mean, it's a in, great in question. That, that. I think it's a matter of how how do you what do you view as an investing book? I think if you if you include books uh, about business in general, I think it's definitely 60-70% of them is probably investing books. Um Biographies is quite, I mean, one of the categories I like the most. But then I also read uh, biology and psychology and and uh, and so on. But not so much fiction, actually. I mean, uh, maybe a few books every year. And Eddie, how about you? I've always been into books. I grew up with books. My family has, everyone has been working with, with books in one way or another, producing, writing, illustrating. So that really comes naturally for me. And then when I started investing, that was probably when I turned around 18. Uh, came from my, my grandma after she had passed and she had that interest. And there was something that intrigued me to, to go deeper into that. And of course, reading was like a, <laughs> a good way to find knowledge, uh, as I had done before in other subjects. But it was also, of course, a lot of fiction in my reading. And that is something that I unfortunately dropped when I started studying. Then it was more reading uh, non-fiction and of course focusing on, on reading the, the books of uh, finance studies, which I kind of regret now. I should have spent more time reading uh, more valuable books, but that's something we I have kept up with uh, over the last couple of years. And uh, our CEO at Rada, he's reading a lot and he has uh, inspired me to, to read more. And now you have a podcast focus on investment books. When I started this show, the first thing I did was I created a list of 100 people I would like to interview. And I've gone through a majority of that list. I'm assuming you two have done the same thing. Do you have a hard time narrowing down who's, who's, this is who I'm going to interview? Is that a hard process or is it easy? It's a good question. I mean, we started kind of in the same way. Investing by the Books has been a website since uh, 2012. So, I mean, they have done book reviews for more than 10 years and they had some connections. So we it was quite natural for us to start that way. And, and Niklas, you have been writing since 2017 for investingbythebooks.com. So that was uh, very good for us. But then, of course, we also started listing books, uh, both that we have read and that we were curious of reading and I mean, we have been building this book document and now it's passing 900 titles and all of them are not investing books per se, of course, but uh, we think in one way or another they can help us as an investor. So it's, of course, not easy to choose. And I think we need to now we did now we have done about 40 episodes and quite many of them have actually just happened because we we read some book, uh, someone recommended some person or a book to us and we stumble upon something and then we're like, oh, we're interested in this. We should do an episode about this. And then then it, it happens. So actually less planning than I than I thought it would be because I, I really <laughs> like to do the strategies, I think. What do you say, Niklas? I'm more more the ki- kind that don't, don't plan so much. Um, 
I think, I mean, the ideal situation is that you read something that, that gets you really intrigued and you have all these questions naturally to the author and then, then you try to, to fetch them and, and interview interview them. So I think that's the that's the best way for me. I'm not, I, of course, I, I mean, to plan in some aspects is, is good, but I think that process, the natural process is, is preferred for me. But, but I guess uh, for you, Mark, I mean, you've done more than 140 episodes. I guess you have, because uh, we have noticed that now authors and uh, suggestions come to us a bit more at least. So so that makes it makes it easier in one way. I was going to say I get requests every single week and having to now say no a lot. Well, let's put a pin in this. We'll come back to your podcast because I, I, we're going to plug the heck out of it uh, when we wrap up. So I want to I want to turn our focus to investment books, and I just want to make one quick comment. And I and I got to be careful here because I could talk about this all day. So I'll try to keep this less than sixty seconds. I am a financial guy. Uh, I've been working in corporate finance for nearly thirty years, and I love it. I would say the greatest education I've read besides street smarts and working with some really smart people is reading a lot of investment books early in my career. And those investment books led me, and I don't know if you you guys may be too young for this, but in my thirties, I had close to a thousand annual reports in my basement. I didn't read them all, but I perused through them. And you don't you don't go through that process and not be impacted. So I just want to say the power of investment books can have a, a profound impact on one's professional career. So I just want to say why this is to me a very very important topic. Concur. For me, I think um, not just only investing books. I think reading in general is really important, and I think everybody should read what they are interested in. In and I think. Our, I mean, our work in the podcast is, of course, we, we would like people to who are not interested in investing to get interested in investing. But it's also maybe more to get the people who are already interested in investing to see the value that you can get from books. Because every person are not like natural readers. And I think podcast is a great step towards reading more. Uh, so I, I think when we interview someone, the, the next step should naturally be that, that you buy the book if you're interested in the subject. So I think, I mean, that's more or less the focus we have, I think. Do you agree, Eddie? Yeah, definitely. And having talked to all these authors, having read the books and even been part of the process of, of uh, writing and, and the editing, and we know how much work there is behind every book. There's so many hours that goes into it, both from the authors and other people involved in the, in the process. So, I mean, we really admire that and the 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 reason why we like it is because of it's such a high quality usually so we know that books have stood the test of time it's a it's a format that has been there for for a long time and of course now it's more digital and audio versions and so on but in our view uh, books are still like trumping most other content and we think that will persist of course you can complement with other other sources sources as well but I, before we get into hearing your top 10 list, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's one list or if it's going to be two lists of top 10 books, 
And by the way, it's okay if it's the top nine or top seven. I know coming with a top 10 is, is hard, but before we get in that list, I'm holding in my hand, I'm holding in my hand, Benjamin Graham. This is the third edition of the intelligent investor. Oh, okay. Now mine is night. Mine is 1965. It's 1965 and there's a signature in it. 1965, Benjamin Graham. It may be sacrilegious what I'm about to say. Anytime investment books come up, the book Security and Analysis by Graham and Dodd or The Intelligent Investor by just only Benjamin Graham, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of either of those two books. Does that mean there's something wrong with me, Eddie or Nicholas? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think though that um, maybe what what many readers of those books miss is that they are written, I mean, for such a long time ago. And I mean, a lot of the books is about presenting like formulas for, for how to invest, which yes. may not stand the test of time and, and maybe has not stood the test of time. Uh, but but I think if you, I mean, if you read, for example, the intelligent investor from another angle, and I think we'll get more into that, like the the philosophy and the the concept of of, of Mr. Market and uh, and the margin of safety and and so on. I think, I mean, a lot of newer investment books has built on those concepts, and and that is maybe the key for me. Um, in great the book. point, great point. So if they would have been written like this year, they would not have been the same way, I guess. No, I don't think so. And I think uh, if Benjamin Graham was to be alive now, I don't think he would write this book. I think he would probably do do something that's more profound for, for this day and age. Because they worked very well at the time. And when you read the history of how inefficient the market <laughs> the markets were, I mean, of course, it was a good way to approach them, to find value in that sense. And again, great, great points. So you knew I was going to ask you about your, your favorite investment books. How do you all want to do this? We've not rehearsed this. Do you want to do each of your list? Do you have a combined list? How do you want to do this of your favorite investment books? So I think we, we have a bit of a combined list. Um, but I have, a, I have a structure where I will start with uh, just describing what I think is needed for investors and then fit the book to that concept more or less. So, I mean, if you just ask us about the books, then then we can go on. Yeah. Jump right in. Okay, so I- instead of starting maybe with the with the book, I, I just want to say that, uh, I mean, I've been thinking about this in terms of what, what's needed for an investor and then I fit the book into that concept. So I think, I mean, if we start with the f- first, first book. So, I mean, many talk about investing being both an art and a science, but I think many miss that it's also a craft. And I think Peter Lynch tells this best in, in his books, uh, One Up on Wall Street and, and Beating the Street. I mean, both of them are, are really, I mean, light reads, I think. And uh, it gets you going about investing in general, I think. I mean, he, he really tells a, a passionate story about how the work is as, an, as a fund manager or as an investor. So, I mean, it's about being attentive to, to new trends, to, to speak with a lot of people, to read a lot and, and so on so I think um, I mean if you do all that work in the end 
you may achieve an edge on something and and then you should really bet on that and we will come to i mean how you should bet on that when we when we talk about buffett and and munger lately uh, but but i think um, i think too many people in general discard lynch's advice as really i mean buy what you know and just if you like something if you like like a product from a company then then buy the stock and everything will be fine i don't think he says that really i mean he says that you should know the, the companies which you which I mean if, if you buy the stock in a company you should know the products you should understand them but it's not it's not just go buy them he's also I mean into I mean that that the price is important and I think um, yeah I think that's something that's that's missed and something which I think actually yeah people people don't really understand the advice that he that he gives Peter Lynch by the way is in my top 10 as well. And on the on the topic of like the craft of investing, there are of course many many tools you can use in your in your toolbox. And something maybe more for the for the advanced investor and sophisticated investor, and maybe not as uh, easy read as uh, Peter Lynch. But if you go into uh, what we think is important here at Red Eye as well, when you find stocks, is that you have a checklist, and that's something. There, we know that there are many books. So we have our own rating here at Red Eye, uh, which is described in our CEO's book, Quality First Investing. But when I thought about this concept and, and the perhaps most extensive classic on, on this uh, topic, I think it's Michael Schoen's book, The Investment Checklist. Uh, this he presents like a really big framework. It's both qualitative and quantitative, and this really serves as a reminder of what is essential and it helps you to not overlook these important aspects. And uh, I mean, of course, you shouldn't be stuck with a checklist. That's a risk, of course, that you just focus on this and you forget other things or you put too much emphasis on this. You, we think you need to be flexible. You need to understand which are the most important questions in this case and which are most important in that case. So then we come back to this uh, art part of investing, but uh, making those judgment calls uh, it's it's tough and it requires experience. Do you mind if I add something about your comment on the investment checklist? Eddie? Sure. I, I, as much as I appreciate the, the, the construct or the idea of art, to me that checklist addresses the sin of omission because the checklist can help us to maybe think about something that otherwise we might just miss or ignore. So I don't think that gets in the way of the art part of investing. So again, your comment is is brilliant. And by the way, great, great selection. Excellent book. Okay, what's next? So I mean, I talked about price with with Peter Lynch uh, that uh, maybe people don't really understand that. I mean, he actually says that that price is important. And I think for me, I think the concept of, of having a margin of safety has been really, really important thinking about, I mean, uh, if, if the value is, is higher than, than the price and, and how to think about that. So I told you before that The Intelligent Investor was one of my first books I read. And I think um, the concept of, of margin of safety and also Mr. Market in that book really drives home the, the point for me in a, in a great way. And I, I, I also want to emphasize that I've read the seventh edition where the brilliant Jason Swag has uh, added his comments and and really made it a lighter read in my view. I think he really in in each chapter he summarizes the concepts in a great way, I think. Uh, so I mean just to just to mention 
the Mr. Market analogy, it's it's really about how to use the market to your advantage. I think people get swayed by the market moves instead of thinking about it as the market can sometimes offer you a bargain and sometimes it will be just uh, offer you a, a price that is yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't even get close. And I think you should use it and not get swayed and that's the hard part. And uh, I think uh, yeah I think in a way Graham really helps you understand why you should think about the market in that way and i think uh, yeah I, I think i haven't read anything that's better better in that and uh, yeah we can get into later about having a checklist and so on how you should really act on it as an investor i think maybe not checking stock prices every other minute is, is one great way of doing it and uh, thinking about it as a business owner and not as a yeah, just uh, blips on a screen. And uh, the other is, of course, the margin of safety, which I mentioned in terms of valuation that, I mean, you shouldn't, if you find something that's a great company, but it's fairly valued, I mean, it, it will, by definition, give, give you a market market return. But if you if you find something that's, that's really discounted, it could be because Mr. Market is, uh, is, is in a bad mood that that a pessimistic mood then uh, then you have the chance as an investor to really uh, do a, do a great investment and I think this that's what what this is all about so I think that's what what makes it so important for me we speak about understanding mr. market and on the other side of mr. market is yourself and then you can think about what is mr. market doing wrong and that is usually being over emotional in one way or another and if you can avoid being that, you should have have an advantage. And we will we will come to that later in this discussion as well. But I think it's it's always interesting to think about it from that angle. Like someone is really angry with you. Should you fight back or should you be calm in the situation and just uh, think clearly? I think it's pretty similar. From like the little kid in the candy store or... I love baseball cards as a kid. I like the little kid at the drugstore waiting to get the ball cards, open it up the wax paper, pull up the bubble gum. So this is my baseball card uh, experience. What's next on your list? Yeah, I would like to continue a bit on the understanding of the market. Um, to me, when I started reading, I didn't mention before, but but history has always been of great uh, interest for me. and. Uh, of course, financial history is very, very interesting uh, as well. And uh, that can also help you understand the market. Of course, we know that it's it's never going to be the same as it, as it has been. There will always be something new. But just to know that something has happened before, it will give you another dimension in your thinking. Because uh, we have only been living for a couple of decades. And I mean, so much more has happened. So... One title that I think is uh, not very well known but is interesting is uh, Once in Golconda uh, by John Brooks. And um, he has also written two other books that are more famous, Business Adventures that we talked about in the podcast and The Go-Go Years. And uh, they are also great. But uh, Once in Golconda, it, it really covers the development of Wall Street from the First World War to the Second and when New York overtook London's position as the world's principal money center so my key takeaway from this one is how bad things can get and how many unbelievable things that actually has happened and we often hear that we need to be prepared for anything and but sometimes the real world stories are, are valuable to remember i think so 
just one crazy example from that is when the war broke up out in 1914 i mean the the stocks were uh like they were decreasing so much it was sickening and uh the new york stock exchange actually closed for nearly nine months and wall street turned into nine months nine months yeah i was fascinated as well i i I mean buffett usually talks about you should like hold stocks because the market might close down but it has been closed down at several locations and uh, this one was very long uh, nine months and uh, I mean Wall Street at the time was like a ghost town there were a handful of outlaw brokers as they were called they were trading outdoors uh, some securities at panic prices and I, I can just see this in front of me I mean it makes you a bit scared uh, and you shouldn't be too scared because we know that there have been many crises since then and usually they have kept the market open and so on but just think about what you own in your portfolio and if you're ready to hold it through thick and thin and there are a lot of stories in there but I, I've read Business Adventures. I have, I have not read that book. I am putting it on my list. So, Eddie, gr- great suggestion and, and great point. But, I, again, I did not know that. Nine months shut down. That's that's amazing. Nicholas, you were going to jump in? I don't have anything to to. I have nothing to, nothing to add to <laughs> Charlie Munger. Yeah, I mean... If we if we should move on about a bit to the next topic, otherwise I could take talk more about uh, the stories from Golconda. But I will, uh, you you can read them them yourself. I won't spoil them. One is uh, just about uh, the boss of uh, America's at the time second biggest commercial bank. He goes short his own company, uh, quite a huge amount. That is an another fascinating story. But um, as an investor, you also need to avoid uh, big losses. And uh, to do that, one thing is of course to uh, take, uh, think about the price, uh, as Nicholas has talked about, and other important and related topics are risk, luck, and probability. And uh, of that we can read uh, in many books. Uh, Against the Gods was one title that I um, reread and, and listened to quite recently again. But uh, Nassim Taleb is probably the one that we would like to highlight the most. I mean, exactly. His Go work on. is keep going. Yeah, I mean, his work is exceptional, and uh, of course. The, the book that made it most for me was Fooled by Randomness, but it was also the, the first one that I read and the subtitle is The Hidden Role of Chance in Life and in Markets and I think it's a it's a good description of the book. Uh, it really talks about uh, what you need to think about and uh, I mean, my one of my conclusions is about overconfidence. He, he comes back to that quite often and it's really this dangerous character trait that you need to avoid. And it's very, very dangerous in life, but also in financial markets. And it makes you arrogant and you're not thinking about the other views and uh, <laughs> it will it will make you put too much at stake. And uh, one thing that we have been discussing is this alternative histories. So that's uh, something to always keep in mind. And uh, Taleb brings this up that something has happened but that's not the only outcome that could have happened there are so many other things that can that can uh, happen and and i think the one single conda shows you that but of course there are things that have never happened that can happen and yeah i mean we always try to try, try to i mean in retrospect say that of course that was the the way it it was going to play out but but as Eddie said i mean that's just one one part of it maybe the I mean, if you if you look at it, at this as a as a probability game, you will you will set different probabilities to different outcomes, and and uh, of course there will be one single outcome in the end. 
But, I mean, first of all, it's not certain that that outcome was the most likely. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you should have that with you all the time and, and not try to be arrogant about thinking about how why things things played out and, and, and so on. Yeah, and Talab has this extreme example of, of one person earning $10 million by playing and, and winning Russian roulette. And one person is earning $10 million from his work as a dentist. And, of course, the probability of survival and, and the dependence of uh, randomness is very, very different in these two cases. So Exactly. Focus on the process, not the outcome. That's kind of the conclusion from that. Eddie, did I hear you mention Charlie Munger? A few minutes ago. I think it was Nicholas when he said he had nothing to comment. <laughs> yeah, nothing oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Well, he, as I can say, he's not written a book, but I, I'm amazed that the people have not written a book, but there's been so much written about him. I do. I will gift out during the holiday season. I will periodic, periodically gift out the Charlie Munger Almanac. And it's like a big, heavy coffee table book, but there's a ton of nuggets in it. Is, is that a book that you all like and recommend to others? I mean, that's, that, that's the last book that we're going to talk about today. So it's definitely on our top 10 list. And uh, I think, I mean, it, if, if Taleb is an, like, really an expert in talking about like multidisciplinary thinking and and I think if, if the concept of mental models is really one of the one of the keys. I think in 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 terms of having different models in your head that could explain different types of of things more or less. And uh, I think uh, Taleb is is really. I mean, there are tons of models in from from his books that you can that that are really usable. Um, but I think in Port Charles Almanac, it's also really clear what type of of tools or models that. That you that you can benefit from having in life and and as an investor. Yeah, and then damn right is of course a good good book on, on Munger as well and his life. Anyone who's going to talk about investment books, it's hard not to bring up Buffett. And in a way, we have been talking about Buffett on the edges because he's the one I hear a lot talking about. Now we know where he got this but margin of safety, Mr. Market. So I first heard those terms from him, but he'll go back and say, well, I got those from my, my, my teacher. Well, what are your favorite books on or about Buffett? Cause I know you've read, I, I bet you've read easily a dozen books on Buffett. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm being nosy and curious. What are your favorites on or about Buffett? And I mean, going back to this uh, that we talked about recently on Port Charles Almanac, I mean, the author Peter Kaufman has has added some material. In, for, I mean, from doing that book, but it's mostly the work from Munger himself in in terms of his speeches and so on. And I think that's the what I will what I will uh, talk about here is. I mean, you should read the Buffett shareholder letters. I think that's the the key material that you can get uh, from from Buffett. And and I think for me. That's actually, I mean, it's compiled in a book by by Larry Cunningham, which we have had on, on the podcast before. And But I just think that the original shareholder letters, it's just a great education on how to think about businesses. I mean, doing your business analysis. And, and I think um, 
maybe the most important thing from reading him is is actually things I mean how to think about businesses that are good versus bad so I mean maybe the most I, I think the most important thing is actually I mean how how to think about businesses to avoid and not maybe those that 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 you should uh, that you should buy um, but I also really like the history lesson that you get I mean Buffett has been writing these these letters since his partnership days also in terms of I mean finding the great businesses the franchise businesses that he calls them which uh, sustainable competitive advantages and uh, yeah he, he the examples he gives with businesses that he has looked at and bought or avoided to buy it's just uh, I think it's just the perfect education for everyone interested in investing yeah and then of course I mean the snowball is amazing it's so detailed and it, I really love the engaging story uh, that Alice Schroeder has written and of course I mean Robert ha- Robert Hagstrom his his work uh, of Buffett is like he was the the one who really broke Buffett with the Buffett way and uh, yeah you also have the the making of an American capitalist Lowenstein, Lowenstein yeah. yes. and, but I think uh, I mean I th- usually that's the book that's highlighted and I think it's a great book but I think it's so much about uh, the situation with um, Salomon Brothers. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's it's really, I mean, hitting you in your in, in the head in terms of the integrity Buffett shows and so on. And I think it's a it's a great deep down into how Buffett thinks. But I I think Snowball, for example, it covers, I mean, the full history of Buffett more or less, and and the the shareholder letters cover. I mean, all the professional life of of uh, Berkshire Hathaway and Buffett. So I think, I think for me, that's the better source materials. I was going to say, my I am very biased toward Hagstrom. I loved uh, the Buffett way, and I think if you're a student of finance, that is a great, great starting point as well. You mentioned, uh, I think Roger Lowenstein. Again, phenomenal book. I, I put those; those are two, or you can almost flip a coin and. For me, Snowball is like, it's almost like candy uh, for those of us who love reading uh, Bapa. I mean, it's, 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 it's narrative, it's story format, and it's his basically a biography and it, it's, I feel like it's complete. Uh, but in terms of just learning the craft, the trade, the art, again, I'm biased toward Hagstrom. I, I'm a big, big fan uh, uh, of his, but every title you've mentioned, Huge, huge thumbs up. Uh, one other question on your top books. If you were recommending, and it may be unfair to say one book, but if you're recommending one, two, maybe even three books to someone who's new to investing and it's like they're looking for a place to start, what comes out of your mouth? Either of you two or both. I mean, to me, the most the most important thing by Howard Marks is one book that I would recommend. It's a classic, um, but I I read it quite early on, and Howard Marks has been like a legend for me, and I followed his his memos ever since. And yeah, I w- that's one that I would recommend. But it's probably because of my bias of reading it early as well. I mean, I would start with Peter Lynch. It's easy. I mean, easy reads, and it gets you. I mean, really understanding what what this is all about. I think. And then if you're interested in that, I think you, you should dig down into more, I mean, other types of of sources. Because I have three adult children, 
uh, it's somewhat fresh in my mind. It wasn't too long ago. All three of them were in high school. All three kids, two boys and a girl, they have all read Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam. Phenomenal story, outstanding story, feel-good story. School teacher who becomes a millionaire. Uh, him and his wife then go to New Zealand to do work because he's able to. He saved that million dollars through his first 10 or so years in teaching. And and I just think it's a great starting point. The reason I like that book as a starting point is because he gets into a topic I've never heard Peter Lynch get into. And that's the whole concept of allocation. Yes, he's into index funds versus individual stocks. But the whole concept of of allocation, I think, is it's explained to where a five-year-old can understand it. And that would be someone like me with a pea-sized brain. So that's on my short list. One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. That's one of the first books I read. And I like the way you worded that earlier, Nicholas. It's just easy to understand. I don't think it's overly simplistic, but it's like, oh, I get this. And I can do this on my, I can invest in individual stocks. But the other book I highly recommend, and I can almost say this could be first, and that would be The Little Book That Builds Wealth by Pat Dorsey. And I think Pat wrote that when he was with Morningstar. It's not that thick. And he is a big uh, disciple and acolyte of Buffett. And, and he brings up moats margin of safety, uh, durable competitive advantage. So those are my three. Am I off the mark? Am I in the ballpark? Thoughts? Agree? I mean, it was, it's funny that you mentioned the little book that, that builds wealth because that's one of my, my top five books. Um, actually. I love that book. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great it. book. And I, I think, I mean, I talked about Buffett Charles letters and that Buffett talks about this sustainable competitive advantage. But I think what really got it clicking for me was this book from, from Pat Dorsey. And um, I think he structures the d- different types of modes in a great way. I mean, uh, intangible assets, switching costs, network effects, and cost advantages. And uh, I mean, Buffett built a lot of his career on finding businesses with strong brands, but it that has lost some of its power, at least in, in recent years. And I think investors today, I mean, they must understand network effects, switching costs and so on. And I, I think just Pat Doris is probably, for me at least, the the best author in, in explaining how all these different um, modes, um, I mean, how you can think about them and, and classify them in your head in an easy way. I recently, when I say recently, it's been a year, I interviewed, I interviewed Guy Spear. Uh, again, just one of the most delightful human beings you'll, you'll ever me. I have a deep affection for him. We talked for almost three hours. It's like, Guy, you're famous. You're busy. You can't spend three hours with me. Uh, but he did. And even we spent about 30 minutes in the green room, just, just jamming out on books. And I don't think this came up in the interview. It's not, it's at least not on the recorded interview. We, we did two shows out of it. I was just curious 
I, I held up a book or you can't, you can see this, but if you're listening to the podcast. You can, I held up this book and it's by the national association of investors corporation NAIC. And basically their charter is teaching investment for investment clubs, but they wrote this little book called the investor's manual. It's out of print. And I, I went through this about 10 times and I kid you not went through it. And it's one of the best books on investment education I've ever been through. Someone needs to write a book like this little manual for individual investors. Have you all come across this book by the NAIC? By the way, when I ask a guy that question, he picks up his book and he shows me his copy. I was shocked. I thought I thought I was the only one who had this book. Have you all heard of it? I'm not familiar with it. Are you, Nicholas? No. Uh, another book that I mentioned a guy that I never hear anyone talk about, and it's one of my all-time favorite investment books. It's not a how-to book, but it's a book by a hedge fund manager, and he talked about investing throughout this journey. I call it the Huckleberry Finn on a motorcycle. That's my analogy. But the name of the book is <laughs> Investment Biker, Investment Biker by Jim Rogers. Is that book on your radar or have you read it before? I it's it's great. I've heard about it, but I haven't I haven't read it. Yeah, same. It's a fun read. Now it was written back in the 1990s. But I, I don't I think it has a long shelf life. I, I don't think timing has anything to do with it, but Uh, him and his girlfriend at the time, they started out in Dublin and they, they drove on their, uh, I think it's a BMW motorcycles. Uh, they rode around the perimeter of the Island and then they worked their way to the UK. Then they get into Europe. Uh, they go down to Africa. I forget when they get to Russia. Obviously they're going to be on a ship at some points in time, but Uh, he talks about how he invested in many, many of the local stock exchanges. So there are some nuggets and gems throughout the book, but it's also just a fun read. And so I think anyone who reads investment books at some point, read that book. Because yeah, I guess he was looking for quality businesses all around the world. Yes, but I would think the main thing is he wanted to have a good time he wanted to see the world and he thought, Oh, I guess I better write about this. And I'm so glad uh, he did. He went on a similar trip a few years later. I actually started reading his second book and then I quit. I just thought, no, you, you, you could stop at the first book. Don't, 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 don't do a do over. So I, I think he invested just because, you know, he had the, he, he, he carried a money belt with him the whole time. And so again, he'd go to every local exchange and buy, but he really didn't get into individual businesses. Uh, he did talk about each country. Uh, he, he spent a little bit of time talking about the history of some of these, these nations he, he traveled to. And I thought that economics talk uh, in some of these travels, excellent. Yeah, it's interesting. And to continue on the track of the little book that builds wealth, I mean, we, we talked about finding really good companies that can survive for a long time and 
when I was hearing about this uh, bike journey, then I thought instantly, okay, then you could find some some good companies during that trip. But of course, you can also travel just for, for leisure. But uh, I think it's good to always have that in mind wh- wherever you go. I mean, it comes back to the Peter Lynch approach. You just like have you keep your eyes open. You see a car driving by with a some company logo. Oh, what is that? And it's part of this group. And what is that? And you're this curiosity and you someone serves you a good um, like a good product or anything. And you, you're curious to find that out. And one book that I would highlight in, in this regard of finding quality businesses, it's called Quality Investing. It's written by Lawrence Cunningham and the team from AKO Capital. I think that really helped me to understand like what a great business is. And what I like about the book is that they bring up so many examples. It's uh, um, it's makes it so much more tangible for me when I read it. Okay, there's an example of a company and some of them I already knew, like Handelsbanken here in Sweden, a uh, very successful bank for, for many, many, many years. And one case that I still think about is Geberit, uh, the Swiss producer of, of sanitary products and systems. And they, like every time I see one of their toilets or anything, I think about, oh yeah, this, this company has been around for like more than 100 years and they have been really... Uh, really successful and when you find those kind of companies uh, usually they can be in it for a very long time and uh, since they make products of high quality I mean they become trusted partners and they often get a good reputation among the customers and with that they get a strong brand and that enables them to charge a high premium for their products and, and the people in the business they usually think about the quality and that makes them long term because if you do something good you want it to last for a long time so all of this really resonates well with me like from a personal point of view because um, yeah I've always thought that relationships are built on on trust and and care and yeah in in the beginning I mean when you read like Michael Lewis all of his great books you you become you can become a bit (laughs) skeptic to to this world what what all this financial world everyone is just like super short-term focused greedy people and tricking people into buying something they don't even want and yeah so I think quality investing really proved for me that there was this other way and a very honorable way to do business and to hold on to those companies is something that can be very good for your portfolio as well. Eddie you've triggered a question as I go through my top 10 list actually my list is 11 books I couldn't get it down to 10 as I look at my list there's a topic that's missing. And I want to know if it's a topic that is in your list. So I have a deep finance background. I have an accounting background. And so I just take it for granted. Why do I need any books on how to read financial statements? And by the way, I'm very, very critical of books like that. I find most books boring. Uh, They're very academic and they put me to sleep. Do you have any books on your list on financial statement analysis, how to read financials? Uh, I know one book, uh, Financial Shenanigans. Uh, there's one book, uh, I don't know if it's that book that addresses the quality of earnings, which by the way is trademark. But do you have any books that were financial statement analysis, presentation, or reading of is on your list and should it be? I mean, one of the early books I read was the interpretation of financial statements by Graham actually so it's uh, I mean a long time ago and 
Uh, I mean, business has changed since then, but I think a lot of that is still relevant. And it's a short book. It's like, I think it's around 100 pages. I think that's a great way to, to start. But then I, apart from that, I mean, for me, it's more or less uh, learning by doing that. Uh, I mean, you when you when you read financial statements and I mean, really go go through the, the details and the notes and so on. I mean, you you. I, I think you, you learn it maybe the best way uh, by actually doing it. I would add one other title, if you don't mind, uh, Nicholas, uh, Mary Buffett. Uh, I work with a lot of CEOs. I work with CEOs every day, and most of them are what I call rapid growth, high growth CEOs. Uh, most were growing like gangbusters. And the book I recommend to them, if there's struggling with financial statements, even though we'll walk through them on a regular basis. It's like, if you want to learn more, read Mary Buffett's book. Mary Buffett book is the interpretation of financial statements. And each chapter is like two pages, three pages. So if you want to understand accruals, there's a little chapter on it. Prepage or deferred charges, there's a little chapter on it. So everything that you might see in a financial report is going to be in that little book. It's readable, digestible, accessible as well. It's not, it's not overly academic. L- last night, again, guys, I've been looking forward to this, to this conversation for a long time. But last night I got down. So I've, I've got one wall that you can't see. It's large bookcases. And in one shelf, a couple of shelves, I do have physical books on investing. And I pulled out one book. It's paperback. I should get the hardback version. We talked about books to give to someone who's new to investing. This book is not in my top 10 because it's dense reading, but it is rich. It's foundational. It's a book of wisdom. The name of the book is A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Is that also a book that's high on your list, either of you? I think it's a great book. I've read it uh, twice, I think. Um, it's not on my top 10, but it's not uh, It's not far off. I think this, the, the, again, the reason it's not on my top 10 is because, is this a book that I think another person, like I talked about my kids earlier, this is not the book I'm going to give them. I think what would be good is let's have a classroom instruction about the nine or 10 big ideas in the book. I at least just wanted to bring it up because it's rich with wisdom. But like I said, it, you're going to have to, I, I think if you're a true student of invest, you just said you read it twice. If you're a student investing, you're going to read this from cover to cover. I think the average Joe or the average Mary, it's going to be hard to get through this because it's so dense. But I didn't want to go through this show on investment without at least bringing it up because, again, it is a book of wisdom and it is a book that stood the test of time. And I think people will be talking about it even 50, 75 years from now. Tough to narrow it down to 10. It, 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 it is. I want to wrap up by you've got the floor or I guess do we say in this context you've got the mic 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about business, we talked about valuations, we talked about randomness and luck and, and many aspects. We, we still haven't talked that much about the people aspect. And one book that is definitely on the top 10 and that we have covered in the podcast is William Thorndike's The Outsiders. And I mean, how can it not matter? That's, that's my question. What are the incentives of these people that are running the show? How do they treat their employees, their customers, their suppliers? And uh, maybe most importantly, how do they allocate the capital of the company? So thinking about which people are at the helm, I mean, that's, that's very important in, in, my, in my view, at least. And uh, then The Outsiders of William Thorndike is definitely one of the best books uh, of that, I think. He has talked to and uh, interviewed everyone around these eight top CEOs that he, he has he is considering as outsiders. They are doing things uh, not in the conventional way, so to say. Can I just say that if I were to recommend, if someone's never read a business book, I'd say read this book, The Outsiders. It is exceptional. I think many businesses would benefit from, I mean, having a leader with that approach to really, I mean, that really focuses always on creating shareholder value and, I mean, uh, not on building an empire, but actually every every decision they take should be focused on on uh, grabbing the, the most long-term value as possible for the business. And I think, uh, I mean, even though Thorndike wrote this book, I don't think that's appreciated enough in the industry. Yeah, and many investors, they focus too much on, on the products or on the new technology or the new market that's going to blow everything away, but if they are not going to do anything good with the money, <laughs> if they get any money, I mean, then it doesn't matter. So capital allocation is a bit underrated in that sense. And then you have one more book left, right? It's the Port Charles Almanac. Um, I think everything we have talked about today, I mean, all the books we've talked about are really important, but I think if you miss what, uh, what Charlie mentions in his speeches, I mean, then, then I think you may fail anyway. So I think, um, for example, I mentioned the intelligent investor and, and the concept of, of uh, the Mr. Market and that that explains how, how the market is a manic depressive actor with huge mood swings. But I think, uh, I mean, you really need to, uh, as I said in that, when I, when I discussed that book, you, you need to stay calm even when others panic. And I think... Uh, Poor Charles Almanac, like it, it's a compil- compilation of all the the major speeches that that Munger has has done, and my favorites are the psychology of human misjudgment, where he uh, talks about I think it's twenty eight different uh, uh, biases that that uh, that humans have, and I mean what's interesting here is that Munger uh, he he wrote that speech in I think it was. 95 and at that time we didn't have the the for example uh, thinking fast and slow by by Kahneman and Tversky and I mean I I think Munger was quite early here we had for example Bob Cialdini's book Influence but I mean there was not so much written on the on the subject and I think usually we hear that practitioners are the ones really coming up with things and then we have theoretical I mean, theoretics uh, actually writing about them. And I think this is just what has happened here, that, that Munger really thought about all these concepts and and uh, wrote a speech about it. And 
I mean, he, he, he said that, for example, Cialdini influenced him in, in, in writing that speech and, and gave him a few new ideas on, on, on biases, but actually he came up with a lot himself. I mean, really being curious about people and, and businesses and so on. So I think that's a key. And then the speeches on, uh, on worldly wisdom is also, I mean, really one of the best speeches I've, I've ever I've ever read and I think to have this I mean this is one piece of our podcast also that I mean we want to highlight the benefits of having uh, a multidisciplinary thing thinking in in uh, in everything you do I mean to to become a better investor but as well a better person so I think reading books uh, on other subjects may lead you to to come up with uh, I mean new innovative ideas on on how to think about things in in investing and life and in the podcast, Investing by the Books that we have, I mean, we have tried to have titles that are about, for example, mentorship. We talked about history, entrepreneurship, psychology, even spiritualism. We talked about wealth, health, and uh, also one book on forecasting. And some of those we realized when, when we speak to an author that is an expert in, in their field, uh, but they know nothing about investing. That can be a bit tricky because it's hard to make the connection. I mean, we can make the connection and hopefully the listeners can make the connections. Uh, but it's usually better for us to speak with an investor who really likes such a book uh, on a different topic because then we can have a, a discussion about our field of application, so to say. Speaking of your podcast, I wrote down the next five shows I'm going to listen to. They're not in sequential order. They're kind of all over the place. And you're going to tell me, did I pick five good ones? I've already listened to several shows, but here's what's coming up next. Derek, is it Lidow? Lido? Lido. The Entrepreneurs. That's actually the next one. And I may be listening to it as early as tomorrow. Uh, Of course, I consider Adam Mead a friend. Uh, We had him on, I think, the month his book came out of uh, the complete financial history of Berkshire Hathaway. I'll be curious to know the angle that you all took uh, with that conversation. Uh, that is a book that will be here forever. And I hope he will continue to update that book. Uh, if you listen to, to the episode, he might give you some clues about when the next update comes out. Got it. And by the way, just, I, I like Adam and it may be through Adam that I heard about uh, YouTube because I follow him on on Twitter. Uh, Dennis Jean Jocks, if I said that correctly, is it Jocks or Jacks? How, what's the French pronunciation? Jean Jacques. Oh, J. Okay, the five keys to investing. I'm going to listen to that third, and then Patrick Whalen, if I got that right, on business adventures, which we've talked about, and then I am going to be hunting down Christopher Mayer. Uh, I really do. Uh, his Hunter Baggers is on my top 10 list. And I read it, a, I think I read it bef- right before I read The Education of a Value Investor. So I, I want to listen to him because I do want to get him on the show uh, in 2023. So those are my next five. Did, did I pick five good shows of, of your podcast? I mean, 
in our view any show you pick would be a good good match but i think those five are definitely great <laughs> we are not biased I at mean, all i mean to be to be to be really frank here and and uh, i mean it's about it's the same concept on on how you recommend books to people i think sometimes you're in need to read a certain book i mean maybe your curiosity is is really on that or yeah usually it's curiosity i think but if also i think in my view maybe not in in an investing sense but going a bit broader in life sense for me books can be like a sort of medicine as well if you if you need something if i mean instead of going to a psychologist you can read a book for example that helps for me if 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 i have any prob- problem in life or or so on i mean to read ph- philosophy for example so i i think the same in a way goes for i mean how to pick investing books that if you feel that you miss one tool in your toolbox then then try to trying to find a book that could help you with that. So I think it in my view the same goes for podcast. If you should really get something from a podcast, listen to to a podcast that that you think could help you at that time. So um I mean I would recommend that you probably read a bit on on uh, the different uh, guests we have. What what uh, what are they about and is there something clicking there and then choose the the shows from that. Well, what you just said applies to me because when I listen, I go by the book. If I don't have it, it's it's working. And and this two of the titles that I, that I did not have the books, I've already bought the books even in advance. So you guys are stroking my intellectual curiosity, although it's feeble, but it's it's working. And again, I love the show. I like your approach, the way you do. It. I think both you two are great interviewers. And I think you're both, you know, you two are so passionately curious, which is what, what to me is kind of one of the, the secret sauces of the show. So again, I really like it. And I'm assuming it's on every platform, Spotify, Apple, and like a gazillion others, correct? Correct. Yes. Even Amazon. Yes. And, and Amazon. Uh, and I've even been starting to listen to more shows through Audible since I have a, an account through them. And I haven't checked to see if your show is available on, on Audible. Most hosting services automatically will send it to a lot of these platforms that we don't even know about. So I need to check to see if yours is on, on, on Audible. And it, I is bet on, it is. Yeah, it is on Audible. But you kind of have to apply yourself to get it into the Audible platform. So it's not that is not automatic, I think, but. Uh, and again, the website is is. Yeah, I mean we're we're doing this partly in cooperation with investingbythebooks.com, where I started writing in 2017, as Eddie mentioned before. Uh, but as actually for the podcast, the the site is um, is uh, redeye.se, and then we have a link to to the podcast on the website. Do you want to mention anything about Redeye? Yeah, I can say a few words. I mean. Radai is a Swedish investment bank. Uh, we have been operating since 1999. We are based here in, in Stockholm. And we are focusing on Nordic companies in, in tech and life science primarily. And then we are targeting a, a global audience of investors because we think that the Nordic region has been really uh, entrepreneurial and innovative when it comes to both technology and uh, life sciences. So there are many interesting companies here. There are many smaller companies. 
And, and we think that we are already seeing that there is a lot of international interest for, for these type of businesses. We are about 80 employees here uh, at the headquarter and we have a full range uh, service with all kinds of uh, company. We're doing many company transactions and we have uh, our advisory part also doing uh, equity capital markets, for example. And we, we have our analyst department with about 30 analysts of which uh, Niklas is one. And what do you do there? Yes, I'm a client manager, and so I, I'm in contact with companies uh, that want to have our research coverage and uh, also do events here and uh, any other type of service that companies are interested in. But mostly I'm focusing on the podcast, so I'm uh, doing that with Niklas on pretty much half of my time. And you need to tell them thank you very much for letting me still some of your all's time. I believe it's the afternoon hours where you are, but please tell them thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark, for having us on the podcast. It's been great fun talking about uh, investing in all kinds of aspects, and we love books, so this has been very pleasurable. Thank you so much, Mark. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Red Eye. Follow us on Twitter at IB underscore RedEye and email us at ib.podcast at redeye.se. To improve, we'd love to hear your feedback, so please rate and review us. Notice that the content in this podcast is not and shall not be construed as investment advice. This information is meant to be informative and for general purposes only. For full disclaimer, visit redeye.se. I'm your host, Eddie Palmian, and until next time, I sincerely wish you the best of luck on your journey through life and investing. <laughs>